0: Ray Brown's talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com
2: By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty. Their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com And beauty books an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. beauty
1: Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 867. We often hear about how bird song evolves over time, but maybe not all the time, or not in every case at least. In fact, according to some new research at the University of California, Berkeley, there's a group of tiny colorful birds that has been singing the same songs for maybe as long as a million years. That's the eastern double-collared sunbird, a population of which lives at the tops of tall mountains in East Africa and which has been isolated for hundreds of thousands to maybe a million years. Turns out that the mountains there in East Africa have seen very little geologic change, suggesting that the sunbirds had no reason to evolve different plumage or songs. The scientists developed a statistical technique to analyze how the sunbird's songs evolved and concluded that birds and their songs can stay unchanged for very long periods of time until environmental shifts cause them to evolve. No shifts, no change. So time travelers going back a million years may hear just about what we're hearing now. Pretty amazing. Well, it's been a tough month in the birding world. Our friends at the Space Coast Birding Festival were all set to go. Speakers and vendors lined up. Registration underway. And then because of the enormous COVID spike in Florida, they had to cancel what would have been the 25th annual Space Coast Birding Festival. The folks at Brevard Nature Alliance, which runs the festival, say they are determined to bring the festival back bigger and better than ever next year. We hope so. Besides, uh, uh, um, by the way, I mean to say that uh, lots of other festivals are going on around the country. Some virtual, some in person, some kind of hybrids. We have uh, a listing there, thanks to the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, on our website at TalkingBirds.com. The other reason why it's been a tough month in the birding world, Bird Watchers Digest, one of the best birding publications in America, has ceased publishing after more than 40 years not surprisingly the wide-reaching effects of the pandemic played a big part in the magazine's inability to survive but here's hoping just maybe it will come back thank you bird watchers digest there's a bird that's kind of hard to hear just a very thin high-pitched sound not even really a song It's our mystery bird. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a bit later on in the show. Here are some clues to think about until we get to the contest itself. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized songbird that's grayish-brown overall, with a crest on top of its head, a black mask, edged in white, a yellow-tipped tail, often hard to see, red tips on the wing feathers, and a pale yellow belly. Our bird is strongly associated with fruit, even in its breeding season. They coordinate with the availability of fruits and it's famously or infamously susceptible to alcohol impairment and poisoning due to eating fermented fruit. It supplements its diet by fly catching for insects. That's our mystery bird. Beautiful prizes include a 12 ounce bag of delicious bird friendly shade grown birds and beans coffee. And the Droll Yankees original iconic classic A-series silver sunflower bird feeder with a big one-pound capacity and metal parts that won't chip and that squirrels cannot chew. So those are the prizes, and there are the clues and the sound of our mystery bird conservation uh, contest coming up in just a bit. Conservation Salute of the Week. Not everybody will agree to this, but we'll suggest that what we're about to describe is a bold and important action in the essential fight against climate change. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is proposing a statewide ban on natural gas hookups in all new buildings. The ban would be part of a multi-pronged initiative to fight climate change. And the governor says, quote, new construction in the state will be zero emission by 2027. And we will build climate-friendly electric homes and promote electric cars, trucks, and buses. End quote. The proposal would have to be passed by the state legislature, but it apparently enjoys substantial support there. So we kind of cross our fingers and offer a conservation salute to New York Governor Kathy Hochul. And now a royal salute to the royalty... Of our Talking Birds listener family. That's our Talking Birds ambassadors, folks who let us send them some of our little cards for them to hand out to their friends and neighbors at their convenience. And thank you to Danielle Capello from St. Louis, Missouri, for joining our ambassadors family. Thank you, Danielle. And thank you to Dr. Wink Weinberg from Marietta, Georgia. He says, Until recently, I didn't have time to be an ambassador. In 2022, though, I am retired from being an infectious disease doctor and will leave the management of patients with parrot fever, bird fancier's lung, and avian influenza to younger physicians he says he's been listening to our show since the Truman administration (laughs) so he's eager to spread the word the good doctor exaggerates just a bit about how long we've been airing Talking Birds but that's okay, thank you Dr. Weinberg, thank you, Wink, for joining the Ambassadors family. And thanks again, Danielle, in St. Louis. Talking Birds listeners, will you help start the new year off right by joining our Ambassadors family? Seriously, it really is easy to take part and easy to sign up for. Just click the Get Involved tab at talkinbirds.com to join up. That's the Get Involved tab right at the top of the homepage at TalkingBirds.com. Com. There's no G in talking. All right, still to come on our show today, we'll talk with special guest Stephanie Miller about her wonderful new book called Zero Waste Living, the busy, the busy Person's Guide to a Lighter Footprint. Plus, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment, almost live from the archive, about a pretty cool bird he viewed on a visit to North Carolina. And up next, a bird that a visit to South Florida might uncover at this time of year is today's featured feathered friend presented by bird watching magazine for more than a quarter century bird watching has been north america's premier magazine about wild birds and birding Today's featured feathered friend flies at night catching moths in june scarab click and longhorn beetles and dragonflies and small birds and bats summering in the pine and oak hickory forests of the southeast and mid-Atlantic states, and wintering in South Florida, Mexico, and the Caribbean. Resting motionless on the ground or a horizontal branch by day, our bird's dappled brown plumage blends almost invisibly into the surroundings. At dusk, and often into the night, its seemingly endless calls speak its name. Chuck Wills Widow. It's the largest of the night jars, those members of the Caprimulgidae family whose gaping mouths earned them the folk name Goat Suckers, since farmers believed they sucked the milk from the goats in their barns. Chuckwell's widows build no nest, laying their eggs instead directly on the ground among dead leaves, pine needles, or on bare earth, relying on their camouflage colors to hide them from view. As with other goat-suckers, the eyes of the Chuck-Will's Widow reflect light directly back toward the source. They will often sit on gravel roads after dusk, and their orange-to-red eyeshine can be seen with the headlights of a car or a flashlight. It's a bird whose call has inspired colorful nicknames like Hollerin' Boys, Twixt Hell and the White Oak, and the Dutch Whippoorwill. It's known scientifically as Caprimulgus carolinensis. It's today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, Chuck Wills' widow. Welcome again to our show number 867. Well, there's an important series of books called Resetting Our Future. We're about to find out about one of them, Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way... The Busy Person's Guide to a Lighter Footprint. And the author of that book, Stephanie J. Miller, is with us right now from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Stephanie.
2: Good morning, Ray. Great to be with you.
1: It's wonderful to have you on and to uh, see and to read your book. It is uh, really terrific. Um, maybe you can explain that title to us a little bit about uh, the 80-20 way and what that what that means.
2: Yeah, the 80-20 way is something I borrowed from the economics world, the 80-20 principle. And it just really, it's very simple. It just means that with about 20% of the effort, you can get to 80% of the results that you're looking for if you focus on the most impactful actions. So not all actions are equal. If you focus on the most impactful actions, you can get most of the results you're looking for. And so I set out to try to find what was that 80-20 rule for zero waste living
1: mm-hmm. and the busy person's guide to a lighter footprint you have a, a wonderful forward here uh, uh for the book stephanie from the late and great uh, thomas lovejoy tell us a little bit about that
2: yes so uh tom lovejoy of course is the preeminent uh conservation biologist who, who you know invented the term uh biodiversity mm. and uh I feel very lucky that beginning in my 20s I'm not in my 20s now I I have uh, known him I used to process his visa when I was at the Fish and Wildlife Service for mm. his travel to meet biologists in the Soviet Union and China uh, and I I've known him on and off through the years and and had no idea that the publisher actually intended to get Tom Lovejoy to write the forward for the series Mm -hmm. and uh, so I was so touched that he did um, about a year and a half ago and and unfortunately we lost Tom on Christmas Day um, uh, just a couple weeks ago so very very sad for the conservation world and the climate change world and personally it feels like a loss as well he mm-hmm. was a wonderful man mm-hmm.
1: well you mentioned fish and wildlife being there uh, many years and also with the international finance corporation i think you were there for like maybe 25 years and i wonder what uh, your experience there um, or how it may have led to the zero waste concept maybe this book
2: Yes, well, I I was lucky when I was at the International Finance Corporation, which is the private sector arm of the World Bank, so helping poorer countries to develop. uh, I was uh, really um, lucky to actually lead the climate change agenda. I, I worked on climate change and environmental issues there for about a decade. But that work was really focused on what government and private sector could do To be more sustainable. And I would often feel in my own life that I wasn't doing enough. And it wasn't oddly, it wasn't until I quit my career there after 25 years, took some time off, uh, that I finally put some attention to what I could do in my own life to address my own personal carbon and waste footprints. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's what zero waste is really all about. And that's, that's where the link is I've, I've always been attracted to trying to live more sustainably or trying to help sustainability efforts but i wasn't doing it in my own life
1: mm-hmm. and then you had an aha moment in fact that's the title of the first chapter in your book what what what, what was specifically your aha moment
2: yeah. So the aha moment was that I I had always been bothered by all the plastic packaging I was bringing home from the mm-hmm. dry cleaners. Mm-hmm. I looked it up and found out that about 300 million pounds of this plastic stuff ends up in the landfill every year in the US. And so I didn't really need to quit my job to do this next thing, but somehow I had the space to finally do it. I walked into my dry cleaners and I said, would you mind when my clothes are ready, putting them in a reusable garment bag that I brought with me? And they did, and it really wasn't a big deal. And that got me thinking, I wonder if they could offer a reusable bag program to their customers, Within a few weeks, they did. That program took off within a couple of months. And now when you walk into that dry cleaners, you still see some plastic packaging, but you also see all these green reusable bags. So that was my aha moment that there could actually be another way of doing things Mm -hmm. in my own life. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, in the book, too, you talk about how you encouraged friends to uh, ask their cleaners to do the same thing. Uh, And you said so far limited success, but it clearly showed you three things.
2: Yeah, it showed me that uh, first of all, people are really busy and like me, they just didn't, you know, maybe they just don't think of some of the easy things they could be doing, like asking for your dry cleaners, your paying customer to put your clothes in a reusable bag. It also made me realize that businesses may want to do the right thing, But they may not be sure their customers will be excited about it and want this. So we Mm -hmm. have to let them know. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also made me realize that once you make it possible for people to do it and you make it easy for them, that people jump on the bandwagon pretty quickly. I mean, the fact that Mm -hmm. a third of the customers of this dry cleaners now use these reusable bags was just really eye
1: opening. Mhm. So people want to do the right thing, but sometimes it has to be a little bit easy for that to happen. Yeah. yeah. So the magic 3, Stephanie, uh, that you cover in your book, focusing on food, purging plastics, and recycling right. Could you, could you give a real kind of quick overview of, of those three points?
2: Yeah, so again, if we go back to eighty twenty and really wanting to pick the most impactful actions, then I realized through my research that the three were the, the, the most impactful actions fell into these three categories that you just said. And focus on food is, is really a couple things. It's about a plant-based diet. It doesn't mean going vegetarian or vegan. I'm not a vegetarian or vegan, um, but, but how impactful it can be and the research is there to increase uh, your uh, plant-based meals. My goal is four dinners a week, Mm plant-based. And the other piece of the food equation is food waste. And this was eye-opening for me. I used to work in climate change and had no idea how much food waste in landfills is responsible for methane emissions Mm -hmm. and therefore for climate change. That's around food, huge. Aha moments there. Plastics. Uh, lots of things we know about in the ecosystems. Plastics is not good for birds. It's not good for our oceans. It's also not good for our health. It's not uh, the toxicity from making the, the plastic process is, is not good for anybody nearby. Uh, we apparently consume about a credit card's worth of plastic every week uh, through the air and through the, the beverages we drink. So I, I give some easy tips on uh, reducing plastic in your life, and then recycling is not the solution, but <clears throat> we have to get it right. It is part of the solution. So I give some tips in the book on on how to approach that. Mm-hmm.
1: And the last part of your book, beyond the individual, really about how you can kind of extend the impact of your uh, individual efforts, certainly uh, worth reading as well. And I'll just point to one other thing, and that is the epilogue of the book, which is very very short. And very, very sweet and kind of brings things around full circle in a way. I won't give that away, but uh, it's certainly <laughs> worth seeing, as is the entire book. You can get it at your favorite bookstore or on Amazon. It's Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way, The Busy Person's Guide to a Lighter Footprint. Stephanie J. Miller is the author. Stephanie, uh, congratulations on the book and thanks for being with us.
2: Thank you. It's been so good to talk with you.
1: Thank you. Steffi Miller here on Talking Birds, and up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-Vortex, or visit vortexoptics.com. Kind of hard to hear, but we're playing the sound of our mystery bird. Give it a chance there. Yeah. By the way, if you're not hearing our show live and would like to, so you could, for example, enter our mystery bird contest. Just go to TalkingBirds.com and see how to listen live wherever you are online. Very, very easy to do. Our live broadcast, by the way, is on Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10.00 Eastern Time. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized songbird that's grayish-brown overall with a little crest on top of its head, kind of swept back, a black mask, edged in white, a yellow tipped tail, often hard to see, red tips on the wing feathers, and a pale yellow belly. Our bird is strongly associated with fruit. Even its breeding season is coordinated with the availability of fruits, and it's susceptible, kind of famously, to alcohol impairment and poisoning due to eating fermented fruit. It's a sad situation. It does happen kind of a lot. Our bird supplements its diet by fly catching for Insects beautiful prizes including include the Droll Yankees original iconic classic A series silver sunflower seed feeder, and a twelve ounce bag of delicious bird friendly shade grown birds and beans coffee the kind we drink around here and we love it and you will too and those are the prizes and the number is the important thing here it's seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred that's 781 seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred as always we ask you to call us as soon as you can. So we'll have time for our contest and the awarding of those prizes. 781-837-4900 is the number. Coming up next, almost live from the archive, it's Let's Ask Mike in just one minute. Beauty-O-Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology, From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com. B-U-T-E-O. Beautyobooks.com
0: is Cliff Holly, and I'm calling from Sacramento, California. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I just think there is not enough content out there for folks that love birds, especially radio or podcast content. I think you should become a Talking Birds ambassador because it's a great show, and there are people out there that don't know it exists yet, and they really should.
2: Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassador's family. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks.
1: Let's see if we can hear the sound, maybe, of a red-cockaded woodpecker. Let's check this out here. Let's see if Mike O'Connor finds that a familiar sound. Are you there, Mike? Good morning. Oh, my God,
0: that's exactly what I heard. It sounds a little cinchy, doesn't it?
1: That's the agitated call of the red-cockaded woodpecker. That's what it did when it saw you, apparently.
0: Uh, you know, I get that a lot. Everywhere <laughs> I go, <laughs> I get the agitated sound. But you were down yeah, I in... Got to, yeah. I got to see this bird. It's one of the few woodpeckers I had, had never seen in North America. <laughs> and um, there's a bit of a reason for that, because their population is down to just a handful now, maybe a few thousand. Um, apparently, it's about one percent of the original population of these birds is left because hmm. it, it it needs it has very specific you know and this is never good for any species to be fussy and this bird is a little bit fussy it needs to live in old long pine trees or similar trees and they have to be old they have to be big they have to be tall and they have to be alive it's the only woodpecker in the world that requires a live tree to to live into and they also hmm. have to have a I think some kind of red tree fungus that softens the wood a little bit. Wow. not really good at making their own cavities. So when the largas came in and they cleared everything, we lost a lot of these woodpeckers, and now we're trying to save them. And it's one of the few birds where... If you go to the right place, you've got a good chance of seeing it. You know, a lot of the birds, like we're talking about, finches coming down from the north, and you go for a bird walk any time of year, and you never know what you're going to see. Well, this bird never leaves home; it's always in this one these particular areas. So, I had read um, I was going to a trade show, and I had read this um, this town it was called Southern Pines, which is just south of Raleigh. Which I, I figured I'll stop there and see if I can find this bird. And I got a little help from a ranger who, who gave me some instructions, and this is what to look for, which I didn't know going in. You find these trees, but what the birds do when they make their nest, they build a hole, just like a woodcracker, but below the hole, they they tap all these little wells like a, like a sap sucker might, mm-hmm. but they tap them in such a way that the sap runs all the way down the the tree, and this prevents snakes from climbing, which is which was really a good idea. I'm going to remember that next time I'm walking in the woods. <laughs> but with the the, the kid, that the, the deal is though, if you see these trees and it's obvious with the sap running down, you know the birds aren't far away. Um, so I spent spent a couple th- hours walking around because even though they're in the area, the park is like a thousand acres. So it took me a while. But I not only found one, and I was so excited. But then a second one flew in and it could have been its mate or it could have been a uh, an offspring these birds stay together for a long time in a family group so they were you know standing on the same tree and squabbling and feeding and it was it was, it was pretty exciting but i think you mentioned that we lost a lot of these birds from the hurricanes right and so so what the, the the park service people and the rangers are doing because it takes so long for these birds to build a nesting cavity they would go up and actually cut a hole in the tree and insert like a birdhouse but only insert it inside the tree and then kind of put some bark over it and putty it up and the birds would would use that. It's really an interesting bird. And it's more interesting to read about than to uh, see, because it doesn't—it's not glamorous like a Lewis's woodpecker or a Piliator or even a flicker. It looks just a little bit bigger than a downy, and it gets its name red cockaded because it just—the male has a couple of little red feathers on the near the on the sides of its head that are almost impossible to see. And cockade, it turns out, as I just found out, it's like a decoration on a hat. So there's probably more than you wanted to know about this bird. <laughs> but if you ever get in the southern part of Florida or, or Georgia or South Carolina, look for these parks where these birds are. And, and it's kind of a fun bird to track
1: mm-hmm. down. And let's hope that uh, rebuilding for them continues on. I think you said there are only a few thousand left, right? Oh, right, and they're in very
0: specific habitat. Yeah. So, so when the trees get blown down, like mm-hmm. we did with Hurricane Michael in the panhandle, they've lost just about all the habitat for these birds. And it's, you know, that's the trouble when the birds get habitat-specific. You know, birds like chickadees and cardinals, they can live just about anywhere, but these guys have evolved to a specific tree, and when then something happens to the trees, they, they struggle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Thanks
1: for telling us about it, Mike. And next time, we want to ask you to tell us about all the birds you have in your yard. You've got a pretty good collection going Yeah, I you
0: know, I came back from the trip, and I put out the feeders again, because I always take them in when I go. And there they were. They're were all back, including a hermit's rush. That's pretty
1: exciting for the winter. Yes, it is. Talk to you next week, Mike. Sounds great, man. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Back to the Mystery Bird Contest, and uh, we are so short of time, let's zip right into it. And Carmel is in West Roxbury, Massachusetts. Good morning, Carmel. Good morning. What a beautiful name. I haven't heard that since the Arthur Godfrey Show, but I'd rather not say that I remember the Arthur <laughs> Godfrey Show. So, uh, Was
2: that Carmel Quinn?
1: That was Carmel Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right, but I don't remember that. But it is correct.
2: I don't either. Oh,
1: that's two of us. All right, but what about our mystery bird, Carmel? Um,
2: great crested flycatcher
1: is a good guess, but not exactly what we had oh. in mind. You got that crest okay. and those colors? Yeah, I get it, but not what we were looking for.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, thank Very you, good. thank, thank you, you. you, Carmel. Okay, say uh,
1: say hello to Arthur for us. Let's go to Caroline in New York City. Good morning, Caroline.
2: Hi, Ray. It's Caroline.
1: It's. I say that you. Say it again. Carolyn. Carolyn. Okay, sorry about that. Carolyn, what do you think our mystery bird is, Carolyn? One of my favorites,
2: uh, Mm -hmm. the
1: cedar waxwing. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, too. All these coincidences here (laughs) this morning. Yes, cedar waxwing is right. And uh, Carolyn, stay on the line. We'll uh, arrange to send you those, uh, those prizes. Thanks, Ray. Okay, thank you, Carolyn. Cedar Waxwing, our mystery bird. Boy, are we out of time already? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.
0: The bird show. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com.
2: By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at VortexOptics.com. And beauty books an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. beauty